All right. Good morning, Cabot. It is good to be here. Uh, can we give it up for this worship team up here, by the way? You know, the definition of a good worship pastor is one that hates what I'm about to do. Ethan, come here. So everybody knows this is Ethan Christopher Woods. And, uh, but I'm so proud of you. Um, I've, I've seen Ethan lead worship. and There's a difference between a worship leader who brings glory to himself and one who brings glory to God. And every time I have seen him lead worship, it's about God. And it's about Jesus. And I want you all to give it up for Ethan like he deserves. Because it's not about you, my man. So proud of you. Okay. You know, the, the reality is that our world is split into two types and two groups of people. Uh, there's people who do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's people who do believe in the name and the renown and the power of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you can come to church. Sometimes you can come to church every weekend and not understand the name power of Jesus Christ. And I want, if you're in here and you believe in Jesus, you give me a second, let me finish this. And you believe in Jesus and you believe that he is alive and that he is well and that he has plans for you to prosper and for your life on this earth to bring more to his kingdom. I want you to give him a huge round of applause this morning all around the room. We serve a great God, church. Same God in Greenbrier, the same God in Cabot, and he's the same God on the other side of the world. I am honored to be here with you guys. Uh, I have known your pastor for quite a long time now. Uh, my name is Hunter Bezet. Uh, for any of you who know the church kind of well, uh, you know that Rick Bezet, the lead pastor, is my father. And, uh, and I, I do take credit for that sometimes, and other times I do not. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I have known James uh, since the day that he moved to Arkansas from Colorado. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have not liked James from the day that he moved here from Colorado. Uh, because uh, he, he, was, he, was, he was an intense man. He still can be. Uh, I know. He's your pastor. Uh, you know this. Uh, but, he, but he has always loved God. He was actually, I did something called 24-7, which is a program. Uh, that James led here at the church, and, uh, and he did an incredible job. But as you can tell, I'm not somebody who likes to run or to exercise. <laughs> and the first day of this program, this guy had me running laps. And so I was like, I don't like you, okay? Uh, uh, eventually, he got this guy to do an Ironman. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's not invented for humans to be able to do. Uh, I did it. Uh, basically because James was whipping me the whole time. But I also want you to know this. I have seen James Bennett become one of the greatest pastors at New Life Church and really around the world. And I have also seen him grow into one of the greatest friends that I have. Um, there's very few people in my life that I feel like I can laugh with like James, and also cry with and tell him what is going on in my life for real and where I need help. 
And so I just want you to know that you have an incredible pastor. Him and Cody are an amazing, amazing couple. They mean a lot to Katie. And I, one more time, give it up for James and Cody. Uh, speaking of my wife, I, I wanted to introduce you to her, but um, being that I would like to sleep in the same bed with her tonight and uh, that she is seven months pregnant, I'm not going to have her stand up for you. Uh, I'm going to instead show a picture um, of our little family to you. Um, this was a few weeks ago at my brother's wedding. Uh, you can see our son, Jack, there in the middle. And uh, I, I, I I love that kid, um, but what I really love in that picture is just how fine my baby mama looks. Uh, Gosh, every time I see that picture, I did that. I married her, and she stuck with me for the rest of her life. Y'all give it up for my wife. Uh, Very often, uh, people ask me, Hunter, uh, are you like your dad? And, uh, and, the, and what I really uh, know that they're asking me is, Hunter, do you like to tell jokes? Do you tell Cajun jokes like your dad? Are you funny like that? And the answer is no. Uh, you just need to go ahead and drop uh, those expectations right now. But I also want you to know that my dad is not the real funny person in our family. Uh, the real funny person in our family is my papa. Uh, my dad's dad is one of the most hilarious people I have ever come into contact with. The problem is that 95% of his jokes I could never tell you at church. Okay, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I did find one that I could tell you. Uh, when we found out we were going to have uh, Jack, my papa called me on the phone. He said, Hunter, uh, I got to know something. I said, yeah, I mean, he sounded urgent, y'all. I was like, uh, I said, papa, what's going on? He said, Hunter, I got to know. Are y'all going to have a boy or are y'all going to have a girl? I said, Papa, I don't know. We just found out she was pregnant like last week. It's going to be a couple of months. He said, Hunter, I got to know if you're going to have a boy or girl. Papa, why do you need to know so bad if we're going to have a boy or girl? He said, because, Hunter, I need to know if I'm going to be a grandpa or a grandma. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's my Papa. And uh, and I I was thinking about that. My my, my Papa, sorry, guys. Uh, My Papa is hilarious. Uh, But I was also thinking about just how focused my wife and I, really not my wife, me, uh, I became about whether or not we were having a boy or a girl. Uh, Any parents in here, when you you start having that first one, you know, you'll ask somebody, you'll ask them, do you want a boy or a girl? And every now and then you'll get that really holier-than-thou answer, "Uh, I I don't care, I just want healthy, okay? And it's like, no, I want a boy, okay? Like, that... (laughs) That, that's what I remember saying. I remember being in the ultrasound room, and, and I saw the manhood, okay, guys? And, uh, and when I saw it, on the, and she told us we were having a boy, I jumped up out of my seat screaming, yeah, I scared our poor lady, okay? Because I was so excited that we were having a boy. And I love my son. But the more I thought about that, my wife is pregnant with our second son. Uh, he'll be here in September. And the more I thought about How often we as Christians try to control our lives instead of allowing God to have control. Like, we try to have control even in the things that God has full control over. And then we go to him and we pray to him and we ask God, God, why don't you help me with these these things that I need in my life? Why aren't you showing up more? Why aren't you there? I, I, I asked for you to give me that new job last week and you didn't give me that. And yet, when the things that he has full control over, we don't give him the control that he deserves. What I have found is that the harder we fight against the purposes of God, 
the harder he will fight against you. And very often the things that we think we will never do is exactly where God is calling us to go if we would just listen. Proverbs 19.21 says that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. If you're taking notes this morning, write this statement down. Nothing can outstand the purposes of God. Nothing can outstand the purposes of God, no matter how hard you may want it to. Um, growing up, I grew up in a wonderful home, and I, and I, um, and, and I, I, I know that some people would probably look at my life, and I've had people look at my life and say, Hunter, you don't even know what hardship is. And Okay, uh, you're, you're right. I, I was raised in a home with parents who loved me, who were married, uh, who were a part of church, uh, who loved each other, who loved my brothers and sisters. I had an incredible childhood. But my life was not so good growing up. Like, the way that I felt about my relationship with God, the purposes that I wanted to prove. See, I I grew up in a house with a dad who everybody knew and uh, had more influence than just about anybody I had come into contact with. And so I wanted to prove that I could have my own purpose and that I could have my own influence. And, uh, and I remember that starting at a young age, but it got really bad for me about uh, six, seven years ago now. Uh, six, seven years ago, uh, I found myself further from God than I have ever been in my entire life. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was partying with a bunch of people that I shouldn't have been with. Eventually, I wasn't even going home. Uh, at night, I was disappearing for three or four days at a time. Finally, my dad made the right decision, and he called me. And uh, he had one of the toughest phone calls with me that we've ever had. And, uh, and basically what he said was that, Hunter, if you don't change the way you're living your life, I want you to move out, and I want you to be out by the time we get home today. And I remember him saying that, but how many of you know that when you're hurt and when you're running, you don't want anybody to know when they hurt you? Some of you, you've probably dealt with sons and daughters that do this exact same thing. And that hurt what he said, and I knew that I was in trouble, but I didn't want him to know. So I just said, whatever, Dad, and I hung up the phone. And then I'm walking around the house looking for a way to hurt him. And this is where it gets a little weird and a little funny, okay? Because I knew that my mom, she didn't want me to go. You know, it's a mom, okay? Like, your mom loves you. And I knew that this was something that my dad wanted me to do. So I was like, okay, I got to take something from the house. That when they come home, it's going to have a lasting effect. Like every time my mom sees that it's gone, she's going to get mad at my dad. My dad's going to be upset. He's going to think about why did I send Hunter away and then I'm going to win. Okay, like that was my my thought process. Okay, the problem was I don't know if I nailed it. Y'all tell me, okay, because I was just about to leave and I look in my room and I think, I'm going to take the mattress off of my bed. I took this mattress, I called my friend over who had a trailer, I put this mattress on a a trailer, we get it all loaded up, and when we get it all loaded up, he looks over at me and he says, okay, where are we going? I don't know. (laughs) I got got no clue. Uh, Your house? Okay, he said, I don't have have any room, where do you want to go? And I said, I I, I really have no clue. He said, okay, I got a barn at the back of my parents' house, you want to take it to the barn? Yeah, let's take it to the barn. And I took this mattress and I put it up in this barn. And for the next several months, 
I ran from God. I thought I was happy. I found myself uh, constantly hanging out with different groups of people, uh, not going to church. Uh, I got a job where I was having to drive uh, down to south of Dallas, uh, like on a phone call, uh, bringing drill brits for oil rigs. And one night I got this phone call at like 10 o'clock, and I was driving back at 9 o'clock the next morning. And uh, I was on an old country road. How many of y'all have, uh, uh, or how many of y'all like to drive fast? Raise your hand. Let me see the fast drivers in here. Y'all better be bold about it, okay? Because I've been passing you on the road. You're bold out there. Uh, I'm a fast driver, and uh, it doesn't really matter what I'm driving. On this day, I was driving a big dually truck. I was on this old country road, and I get behind somebody who's going the speed limit, but that's too slow for me. And we're on a double yellow line, but I don't care. I know the road better than this person, so I pass them. And when I pass them, they get right up on my bumper. Well, that's fighting words for a fast driver. Okay, it's like, okay... I'm going to show you how good I am. So I throw this truck down to Logan and I take off. And I'm outrunning this car. I've got one more turn to go before I, I turn off to my barn, okay? And uh, right before I do that, I look in my rearview mirror one more time, just kind of gloating. And I see on the rearview mirror behind me a little strip of blue lights. Everybody in here has probably had that feeling. Okay, and at this point, I was far enough that I thought, should I run? Okay, the answer is always no. Uh, any teenagers in here? Never. Um, okay, and I pull over on the side of the road, and he comes over, and he gets me out, and he tells me to sit on the curb, and I sit on the curb, and he says, give me your driver's license. When he looks at my driver's license, I knew he recognized my name. And he looks at me, and he said, are you Rick Bezet's son? Yes. He said, I want you to call him right now. I thought I got out of it because I remembered my dad's out of the country. So I looked at him, sir, I can't call my dad. He's out of the country right now. And my officer looks at me and says, okay, I think I got it. And he looks at me, then I want you to call your mom. <laughs> That's worse. Okay, like, uh, so I call my mom, and she's on her way over. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, she's about to see me. She's about to see what's really going on in my life. See, up to this point, at least I thought I had been living a good enough lie for her not to see my hurt, for her not to see my pain, for her not to see what was really going on. But she's about to. And she shows up, and uh, she picks me up, and now I've got to have her take me back to my barn, okay? And so she's dropping me off at this barn, and right as she drops me, as I'm getting out of the car, my mom looks over at me, and she looks at me, and she says, Hunter, I hope you know how much God loves you. I mean, you know, that made me so angry. I said some things to my mom that day that I still regret. I've apologized for all of them. I know that my, mo my mom has forgiven me. I know that God has forgiven me, but it still hurts me. And I slammed the door on her, and I got out that day, and I, and I, I, I went into that barn with pain and with regret. And I want you to know that Jesus... He did not come and he did not die on a cross so that you and I can live average, ordinary, mediocre lives. But we're barely making it through the week and we wake up on Monday and all we can think about is Saturday. And every day is a drag and no day has any purpose because that's where I was six years ago. That's where I had lived. 
And that's where I had found myself in that moment without any person. And I, I, I don't want you to think that Jesus really went all out so that we can barely make it through the week. He came and he accomplished all that he did so that you and I can get up and get out of whatever we're going through, just like he got up and he got out of the grave. He's got a plan for your life, and it is for you to find freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, our God does not desire us to live in captivity. No, he has a plan for us to live for him, but to live free. And I I, want to go through the story of Gideon real quick to prove this to you. Um, Some of you in here that, that, that know the Bible pretty well have probably heard the story of Gideon. Um, and Gideon, uh, if you know anything about him, he was a powerful man. Uh, he was a hero. Uh, he took 300 men to face the Midianites uh, in the Old Testament and freed the entire nation of Israel from oppression with 300 men. Uh, this was a guy who, who, who became like the leader of all of Israel and everybody looked towards. But what you might not know is that his life didn't start that way. In fact, it started a whole lot different. And I, I'm going get to you, get with you about uh, the way his life started. But first, I want us to look at how God's purpose gave Gideon true freedom. Number one, uh, God's plan is the key to unlocking freedom in my life. Uh, you need to know that you are always going to fight. And you are always going to struggle. And you are always going to feel captive until you surrender to your God. Um, an obvious statement is that when you are in a trap, your potential is trapped, and well, is, is trapped as well. And sometimes when you are trapped, you might not even feel like you have any potential at all. And God is trying to free you from that trap to show you his plan. Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord. I, I want to stop right there real quick. Uh, Because it says the angel of the Lord right here, okay? Um, But many scholars believe that this wasn't actually an angel, that this was actually Jesus Christ. Uh, The reason uh, they they believe this is because later on in the Bible, Gideon actually refers to this moment as it being God. And in the New Testament, it is referred to as Jesus. I know that doesn't sound like a big point, but it is. I'm going to come back to it in a second. It came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, we can't pass by this verse too quick. We, ha- we have to unpack it a little bit because if you were a Hebrew in this time and you read this story, uh, for us it doesn't mean much. But for a Hebrew, uh, they would probably laugh a little bit and they would also probably cry a little bit because of what Gideon was actually doing. Um, in the story, he was threshing wheat down in a wine press. My wife and I went to uh, Israel a couple of years ago and I actually got to see um, a wine press. Uh, wine press, it's, it's, it's made on bedrock. It's where a bunch of people come in and they step on grapes uh, to get the juices out, okay? And so it's on bedrock, but it's usually down in a hole in the ground. And that is where Gideon was, threshing wheat, okay? Uh, not pressing grapes, threshing wheat. Now, the process of threshing wheat is when you clean the wheat, um, you can't just go out into a field full of wheat, cut it down, grind it up, and uh, make some bread out of it. Uh, you have to clean it 
Uh, we have different ways of doing it now, but back then what they would do is they would take a pitchfork and they would throw the wheat after they had cut it up into the air and then wind would come by and it would blow the dust and it would blow the dirt off of the wheat and when it came back down on the ground, it would be clean. They would do that a few times and then they would move on to a different batch. Uh, the problem with this story is that Gideon is threshing wheat down in a wine press. I don't know if you've ever been in a hole in the ground before. There's not a lot of wind down there. And that is what Gideon is doing. So it begs us to ask the question, why? The answer is fear. Gideon was so afraid of the Midianites, even them passing by and seeing him working, that he was hiding down in a hole doing something that had absolutely no meaning. Caught up in a completely meaningless task. How many of us feel this way? Uh, if you had asked yourself honestly, how many times have you felt like, I, I'm, Hunter, I'm living a life where I, I have no meaning, I have no point, I don't know what I'm doing here. Very often when we get caught up in that, it will drive us crazy. In World War II, the Nazis actually used this as a torture tactic. Every day, the POWs, when they would wake up, they would walk over to a pile of rocks, and they would make them move the pile of rocks to a different spot on this big field. And then the next day when they woke up, they would walk up to the same pile of rocks, and they would move it right back to where it was the day before. And every day, they just kept going back and forth, doing the same thing. And it ended up driving them crazy. Why? Because they were caught up in a meaningless and a pointless life. How many of us spend our lives trapped, caught up in a meaningless and pointless life in our 20s, in our 30s, in our 40s, in our 50s, in our 60s. All of a sudden, one day we look up and we're like, what happened to our life? Why didn't I go for what I really wanted to do? The answer, fear. Fear could keep us down in a hole away from the power of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, he created you and he custom designed you for much more than threshing wheat down in a wine press. He's got a plan for your life, but it's gonna take you saying, okay, God, I'm ready to surrender. And if I could plead with everyone in this room about one thing, it just might be this, don't waste your life. Ask God what he wants from you and then do it. No matter how big and how scary it might be, you've got to do it. Um, if you don't, you're allowing fear to control your life just like Gideon. Judges 6.12 says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay? I already hear somebody in here laughing. They're ahead of me. Okay? Let me, let me catch up. Uh, okay. Uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Think about this. This is a guy in a hole in the ground because he was afraid of a few passing soldiers. He was not a mighty warrior. This verse, though, should be incredible news for you because God doesn't look at you where you're at. He never does. He looks at you like he created you to be. And Gideon was down in a hole, and everybody else that was around him might have thought that, that he was a coward, but not his God. His God looks at him, and he calls him a mighty warrior. So I don't care how long you might have been living in fear today. What you need to know, 
is that God is looking at you how he created you to be, not as you are. God is a prophetic God, and he loves to speak into you what he sees in you. He does not see you stuck. He does not see you in a hole, even if you are in one. And I dare for you to ask God for, you to allow, for him to allow you to see your life the way that he sees your life. Be ready. It's scary, but I dare you to do it. Number two. God's plan is bigger than your imagination. Judges 6.14 The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Okay, let's follow this. It's a guy in a hole in the ground, afraid of everybody around him. Now God showed up, called him a mighty warrior. Now God is not just calling him out of the hole to face the few soldiers that might be around his home and around his tribe and around his family. No, he's telling him to go up and to face the entire nation of Midian. He's calling this man out. Here's what you need to know from this verse. God will never call you into a comfort zone. He's never going to call you to a place that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I can do that. No. (laughs) Where's the glory in that for God? See, God, he's going to call you to a place that does not seem comfortable. In fact, it's going to seem so uncomfortable that it's not possible. And in fact, it isn't without our God. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, We will never understand the plan that God is working on until we surrender to him. Back to uh, my barn story. Um, After my mom talked to me, um, that afternoon I went in and I was laying on my mattress in my barn and uh, And as I did, I began to feel God's presence show up in my life for the first time in quite a while. And and he just began convicting me on several things. Like, Hunter, who are these friends that you call friends? Do you think they'd actually care about you? Uh, Hunter, do you think you're actually uh, enjoying your life? And is this really what you want to do um, forever? And I, I found myself constantly uh, answering God, God, I, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. And finally, I realized I need to do something about this. The problem was is that I still had too much pride slash fear to call my dad. So I called the next best thing. I called my grandmother, okay, uh, Miss B, for any of you that know her. And I, and I called her, and I said, Grandma, I need to come over. I need to talk to you. It was a Saturday. And I talked to her, and I told her everything that I had been doing. I came completely clean. The next morning, I went to church. It was the first time in quite a while that I had been to church. And uh, I don't remember the sermon. Um, I don't remember the worship set, but I remember the joy on people's faces when I walked into church, realizing that it was joy that I had lost. And uh, I remember the feeling, the presence of God, because it was something that I had lost. And that altar call that day, I didn't give my life back to God, but I just remember saying, God, I'm sorry I've been running from you. I'm ready for this to change. And I walked out of the sanctuary after the service, and I walked out into the foyer, and it was in the foyer that day that God called me into ministry. I began looking around the foyer, and every person whose eyes I came into contact with, no matter if they were a three-year-old or if they were a 90-year-old, I felt God tell me, Hunter, if you surrender to me, and you love me, 
I will enable you to pastor them. People of all ages. Something that I had been so afraid of for my entire life. And I said, okay, God, I'm ready to do it. That week I called my dad and said, Dad, I got something I got to tell you. And I told him about my experience out in the foyer that weekend. My dad said, okay. It took a couple of years of me being restored. I actually went back in uh, to 24-7 with James. That's when our relationship started to change a little bit. And, uh, and that's also when he came over here to Cabot. And I began to pursue my relationship with God and also the calling that he had for me. About a year and a half later, one of the pastors at one of our campuses called me and said, Hunter, do you want to come be my middle school pastor? The GLR, it was Harry Bates. And I said, uh, I don't know how to do that, um, but God promised me that if I love him, that I can pastor people of all ages, so I'm going to do it. And, uh, and he said, okay, come on over. And I went over and I did that for two years. Then one day, my dad calls me, actually it was a different campus pastor, and, uh, and he said, Hunter, do you want to come be my youth pastor? I said, uh, I don't know how to do that, okay? But God told me that if I stay in love with him, that I can pastor people of all ages, I'm coming. Then one day, my dad called me into his office. He said, Hunter, I want you to pray about being the campus pastor in Greenbrier. It was at that moment that my dad and I, we broke a little bit. Because what you might not know, but we both knew that day, is that that barn that I had run from God harder than I've ever run from God in my life in was in Greenbrier, Arkansas. In fact, it is a half a mile away from where I live right now. And every day, I get to pass by that barn. And instead of that being a place of pain for me, it reminds me of where I was without my God and where I am now. See, without God, I was full of anger and pain and regret and no joy. And when I finally said, okay, God, I'm sick of running from you. What do you have for me? I wasn't a loser anymore. All of a sudden, I was able to find a beautiful bride. And now I've got two amazing sons, one here, one on the way. I get to pastor a campus that I love dearly in a town that at once was a spot for pain for me. See, God, he's working on something, whether you see it or not. And you might just have to surrender to him before you can see it. How do you know if God has a plan for you? This is how you know if God has a plan for you. I want you to grab the person's wrist that you were sitting next to right now in your church. Come on, you can do it. Uh, it unless you don't know them, it'd be a little weird, okay? Uh, this is not your chance to make a move, guys, okay? Uh, all right? If they have a pulse, they have a purpose. If they don't have a pulse, raise your hand. We'll get somebody to you, okay? Uh, um, if they have a pulse, I want you to turn to them. I want you to tell them you have a purpose. If you're alive, God's got a plan for you. And he's ready to use you. The question is, are you ready? Are you really ready to say, okay, God, what do you have for me? Because I promise you, James, he needs your help here. He's got big dreams and big plans. And it's going to take some of you saying, okay, God, I'm ready to be used by you for them to come true. Uh, number four, God's promise is bigger than your problem. 
Judges 6.16. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites together. Listen, for every problem, God has a promise. In fact, there are over 6,000 promises right here in the Word of God. 6,000 of them. Okay? That's just here. Okay, that doesn't include the time where you're in prayer and you feel God speak to you. And those times that He gives you a word and He gives you a promise specifically for your life. But right here in His written word, there are 6,000 promises. And so often we're so consumed with our problems that we're not willing to just open up his book and say, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? Because he's got a promise for you. And if you will stand on that promise, he's going to use you. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. A few years ago, um, everything was going good for Katie and I. I told you guys that I was a youth pastor, and I actually love being a youth pastor. Sometimes I still miss it, okay? Uh, I love, like, living a life where, like, the most stressful part of my week was trying to figure out how to have a bigger party at my house than the one with alcohol down the street, okay? Like, that was, that was awesome. Uh, I loved speaking in to youth, and I, I still do, but... Um, when we were in that process, Katie came to me one day and said, Hunter, I'm pregnant. And, uh, and I remember when she told me that we were so excited. Uh, we had just kind of decided to start trying. And it was like God just answered our prayer. And then what was really cool was that the next week we were going on a trip that somebody had blessed us with. This wasn't like a normal trip. This was a trip to Israel. And somebody had contacted us and said, hey, do you guys want to go to Israel? All expenses paid first class. Uh, yes. Okay, uh, and we were doing this, and now we're pregnant. We called Katie's and my parents over, and we sat around the table, and, and we began to talk about this and tell them that their grandparents were all celebrating. The next morning, we wake up, and we get on the plane, and we're going to Israel, man. On the plane ride there, though, without getting into too many details, my wife had a miscarriage. It's amazing to me how fast we can go from a mountaintop to a valley. See, our God doesn't change. He still loved us. But I knew in that moment I was going to have to choose what promise I was going to stand on. See, it was like all of a sudden we looked up and we realized we're thousands of miles away. This blessing had just turned into almost a curse. We're thousands of miles away from our family. We're going through something that we do not know how to deal with. And we're with 50 people, all of them considerably older than we were used to being around. We didn't know one of them from a church in South Carolina. And that night we went into our hotel room. And I wish I could say that we handled things right then, but we didn't. We just went to bed. We didn't really even talk to each other. We were grieving a little bit. But the next morning we woke up, opened up our window, and outside of our window was the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I know that's cheating a little bit, okay. But Katie and I, we walked out on that balcony. We prayed together. 
we hugged. I remember looking at her and praying to God, saying, God, I remember your promise that if I will love you, if I will trust you, you will enable me to pastor people of all ages. We walked out of that room that day, not with our heads held low, but with our heads held high, ready to do the work of God, and we did. We loved those people. At the end of that trip, they were trying to get us to come over and to be their pastors. Guys, it was awkward. Their pastor was on the trip, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But on the plane ride home, when Katie and I had some alone time, she looked over at me and she said, Hunter, we can do this. We can do this. We can pastor people of any age. Babe, I think you're right. We didn't know what that meant because we still love being youth pastors. A month later, my dad pulls me into his office to ask me to be the campus pastor in Greenbrier. And if we would not have stood on God's promise in Israel, there's no way I would have said yes. Because there's no way I would have believed in God's plan for my life. Cherry on the top was that not long after that, Katie pulls me back into the room and says, Hunter, I'm pregnant. Crazy thing was is that the doctors told us it was going to be six months before we could get pregnant again. And we actually found out, this might be TMI for some of you, she got pregnant while we were in Israel, baby. I don't for one second think that God caused that miscarriage. But you better believe that God was in the plan for Katie and I's life. And I saw him working on us because we were able to trust him. He was able to reveal to us the plan that he had been working on all, of, all along. Not a plan for us to feel entrapped, but a plan for us to feel free and alive in his name. If you would, please, all around the room, bow your heads. I don't know where your life is at right now. Maybe you're in here and it's been a long time since you felt used by God. Maybe you don't even know if he has a plan for your life. But maybe today for you is like that day for me all those years ago. When I came into church and I felt God's presence and I felt God's plan for my life. And I just had to have a moment where I said, God, my life is no longer yours. It's no longer mine. It is yours. And whatever you have for me, I surrender to it. You might say, Hunter, you don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes that I have made. No, I don't. But God does, and he chose to love you anyway. And he doesn't see you down in your hole. He doesn't see you down in that rut. No, he sees you as the warrior he created you to be. The question is, are you brave enough to step into it? 
all around the room. You're in here and you'd say, Hunter, maybe, maybe you just say, Hunter, I need to step back into the calling of God he has placed on my life. I knew what it was, but I had a few bumps along the way and it's time for me to get back in the game. Or maybe you're in here and you've never heard a promise from God. You have no clue what he, he wants from you and you're ready to learn that today. And I want to pray for you. And if that's you all around the room, would you please just raise your hand up? I got you. 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 Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. I got you, man. If you would please pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son for me. Lord, I'm sorry for every time I have chose to stand on the promises of this world instead of the promises of your word. Father, I I vow to live the rest of my days for you. Show me what you want from me. Show me the plan that you have for my life. I'm ready. Use me, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Can we give God a hand this morning all around the room?